when you find yourself in the furnace of adversity, they're going to make the difference between you coming out the other end of that thing or are you just sitting in it for a long, long time? That was Chad Wright, who is a recently retired Navy SEAL and is now an entrepreneur and accomplished ultra runner who has won some incredibly difficult races using some of the principles he shares with us today. We get into leadership, accountability, what he overcame to become a Navy SEAL, which is a crazy story in itself. And of course, we cover a ton more, including a great practical tip on some mindset practices and how to deal with negative thoughts. Chad has been on hundreds of podcasts answering a lot of the same questions. I wanted to focus less on the regular questions he gets and dive a little bit deeper into areas of his life. We start off the conversation by talking about an event Chad's 3 of 7 project hosted called The Proving Ground, which I attended and I learned a ton of valuable lessons. But stay tuned after the show for some big news for you and a chance at something that could be life-changing. Let's roll right into the conversation I'm calling Man in the Arena with my friend, Chad Wright. I met Chad a few weeks ago. I went to I went to his event called The Proving Ground, which to be honest with you, Chad, I had no idea what I even signed up for. Attended a lot of leadership training in my life. And there's something that happened in that weekend that I want to get into on today's episode regarding leadership that I learned so much about myself and the power of a team. And my question for you is around how that was created. Was there, were there stories from your time in the Navy SEALs where you, you saw good leaders, you saw bad leaders, and did any of those inspire you to create the proven ground and some of the events that you are uh, running with today? Yeah, hundred percent. That's a really good question. And it's probably something that I should probably sit down and really think about and flesh out in my own mind at some point, but uh, definitely everything that uh, I do or we do as a, as three of seven project as from an experience standpoint, it, it, it's all the genesis of all of it was, my time in the SEAL teams, and most specifically, my time as a tra- instructor or a master training specialist in the SEAL team. So the latter part of my career, I was fortunate enough to um, uh, uh, earn that position as an instructor where I was training actual SEALs to get ready to go downrange and fight. So I wasn't training uh, like BUD students, in buds. I was training actual SEALs. These were seasoned warriors, and we were getting them ready uh, to go down range. And, you know, that was uh, one of the most valuable parts of my career. I think I learned more in two years as a SEAL instructor than in 10 years as a SEAL operator. And it also, um, for me, it identified my passion to be a teacher, to be an instructor. Uh, so I tell people now, uh, I have a, a a master's degree in forging warriors, and it's because I spent time forging actual warriors. And so we take the same concepts, we try to build build out the same types of mission, uh, we try to, to create the same environment for you guys now in a civilian setting as I would have created for a actual SEAL platoon preparing them to go downrange. And yes, I, I worked throughout my career with leaders, uh, with terrible leaders, 
And, and then I also had the, the fortunate opportunity to get to see some examples of great leadership. And, you know, when we were building out these missions for the SEAL platoons as a SEAL instructor, um, we would build out missions and we wouldn't, uh, the, 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 the actual SEALs that we were training, they wouldn't know all the components of the mission. And that was on purpose, uh, you know, and we would create scenarios where there would likely be some some tension or some friction within the team. And we would do that on purpose because we want to see how we want to give you the opportunity to react and have to operate as a team when there is some friction and there is some tension. Uh, we want to give you the opportunity to go into a mission not knowing all the details uh, because when you when you do that, the training starts long before the mission. So the training starts as soon as you sign up and then you have to, to deal with and overcome the anxiety that comes along with showing up to something that you have no clue what it is. Um, and it's a, it's a terrible marketing platform. <laughs> like it's absolutely <laughs> terrible, but you know, I, I'm not trying to, I, I have no vision to scale this into something that, uh, we, you know, we're going to host for hundreds of people. I mean, the proving ground specifically is something that we'll do twice a year with uh, maximum 25 people. And, um, that, that's all I need. That's all I want because it creates that intimate experience, uh, for everyone that shows up. But yeah, Everything hinges upon what I did as a SEAL for sure. So the first day there, and I'm not going to give it away because that's the whole point of this to, to what you just said. You have to be surprised. But I'll say that I stepped up as the LPO, the leader of my, of my group. And, uh, and what happened thereafter was just a series of failures. Like, like from myself, like I am pride myself on being a leader. I love leadership. I lead a company. I've always been that way and I love leading teams. But I can tell you that the first day, I, af after the first day, I'm laying in bed that night and I'm like thinking about, I'm doing it like an after action in my head, thinking about all the things that I should have done differently. And, I sh and it, was all, it all came from small failures, nothing catastrophic, but all these little ones added up and they were starting to eat at me. And I'm like, I'm better than this. And I, I was just thinking about your story and how you became a teacher and a leader in the SEALs, some of the most elite people managing them. And in my case, much smaller case, right? But 11 alpha males that each have their own idea of what we should be doing. Can you remember going back to the first time you might have had a failure and you might have been kicking yourself or thinking about it. And I, I'm sure there's a series of them, but is there something that sticks out in your mind? Well, you know, I think it did. It started from the very beginning. Uh, and I can remember in, in SEAL training in BUDS when I was the student trying to earn my trident uh, through that crucible that is it's basic underwater demolition SEAL training. Um, I can remember uh, the first time that we were we were basically doing an evolution on the beach. Uh, it was called Rock Portage. It's where we where we bring our uh, small inflatable boats 
uh, in high surf conditions out on the ocean up onto uh, this big rock jetty and we have to get the boat up high and dry. It's a very intense, dangerous uh, type of evolution. Well, once that evolution was over, we had to leave there and we had to actually move from that location on the beach to the uh, swimming pool, which we call the combat training tank. Uh, it's not. It's the swimming pool in Buds is a place of misery. It's not a place <laughs> that just hang out and go swim. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not a place to sunbathe, so combat training tank. So I remember finishing up Rock Portage and then knowing that we were having to, to make movement to the combat training tank, and the instructors uh, gave us, essentially gave us a timeline that was uh, quite obviously unachievable. Um, and of course they did that on purpose. I didn't know that they were doing that on purpose, you know, in that moment, I thought, well, well, man, we should be able to, if they gave us this timeline to move from this location to the next location, they gave us this timeline. We're expected to be on time. Uh, surely it, it is, it is achievable, well, it, it wasn't, and what I know now is it was not achievable, and they, essentially, they wanted to see how we would react when we were f- forced into a scenario where we could not possibly achieve the goal. Where Was the team dynamic going to break down? Uh, were we going to get frustrated? Were we, were we going to get angry? Or were we just going to keep trying as hard as we could possibly try and work as a team in order to meet that timeline or meet that objective, right? Which is that's that's what we that's what you should do, right? Um, and then all throughout SEAL training, they they continuously did this. They would give you, they would put obstacles in front of you, whether it was a timeline or a specific evolution or a specific task. Uh, that was unachievable. I, I can remember one time during Hell Week, uh, we had, again, these small inflatable boats that I'm telling you about. They're called IBS, uh, in, inflatable boats small. In SEAL training, and, and especially during Hell Week, you, you take this boat with you everywhere you go. And most of the time, you run with it on the top of your head. And I remember, I think it was about Thursday in Hell Week, uh, we had been awake since Sunday night or, or Sunday day. We woke up Sunday morning, went into the tent Sunday evening, and Hell Week started on Sunday night. So at this point, I had been awake Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for four days straight. And uh, there's an obstacle course at Bud's. And Thursday of Hell Week, we'd been awake for four days. We're complete, physically, we're completely. I beat down is not even the word. Um, and they they make you they, or the the objective is is to do this obstacle course, which is a, a hard course to get through when you're fresh, well rested, and you know you're you're good to go. So they tell us to go through this obstacle course not only after being awake for four days, but they want us to take this inflatable boat with us over all the obstacles that are that are really hard enough to do just with your own body, right? Um, but they give us this objective, and guess what we did, man? We spent half the day just tr- tr- doing everything that we could do to get through that obstacle course after being awake for four days and then lugging this inflatable boat 
with us along the way, and we never quit. It, it was it's impossible to do, but they did it on purpose. And um, you know, how do you how how are you supposed to feel uh, about that when life presents you with a challenge that you you may look at it and say, "There's no way. There's no way I'm going to hit my objective on this." How, what are you going to do, man? Are you are you going to just just quit, right? You have to get you have to go somewhere. You the, the the best thing to do is just to move forward, to lean into it, just maintain constant forward motion and do the best that you can possibly do to reach that objective. Now, even if it's not achievable, you got to you got to try. You got to keep trying. You got to keep showing up. And this is what I learned in SEAL training. Um, and, and maybe even before SEAL training, because I kind of had to do this when I had to get out and have heart surgery and all this just to become a SEAL. Um, that constant forward motion is extremely uh, important. And this is what not quitting is. Like, when, I, when, when you hear somebody say, never quit, or, or you hear me say, take quitting off the table, that is what this is. It doesn't mean that you have to be some super strong mentally tough person. All not quitting is, is literally just pursuing your goals uh, as best you possibly can, maintaining that constant forward motion until something either completely stops you or forces you to change direction. That's all not quitting is. It doesn't mean you're going to reach your objective. If you say, I'm not going to quit, it doesn't mean that you're going to reach your objective. It just means that you're going to give everything that you possibly have in you in order to move forward until something either stops you or changes your direction. So that's a long answer to your question. Yes, I have been faced with multiple, multiple, um, you know, missions that were not achievable, but that did not stop me and my team from pressing forward and at least doing everything that we could possibly do in order to get as close to the objective as we possibly could. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. What about the first time you were leading a group? Like you were leading a group and you realized as a leader, you had failed your leadership responsibility of leading that group to the outcome that could have been... a could have been attained or, or maybe you took them off track. Maybe there's more work. Maybe it wasn't a complete failure, but definitely took them off course. Yeah. So, you know, as a leader, um, you know, and this is not, not, this is, uh, applicable to everyone out there, not just as a SEAL leader, but now for me as a leader in business or at me as a leader, um, in my family, yes, uh, there have been times that, I've been in charge of of a group of people uh, and to accomplish a certain task, and I and I did. I mean, I fought, I either fell short or I missed the mark on something, or I didn't provide them with the tools that they needed uh, to accomplish the aspects of the mission that they were in charge of. Right, so maybe I didn't empower them. Um, I think I, the number one thing in that scenario. For me, when when I've experienced that in my own life, uh, and, and also when I've been working for other leaders that maybe they didn't miss the mark and it was blatantly obvious for the rest of the team, 
For me, the number one thing to maintain your position of leadership in those moments is is ownership, right? Yeah. Is is just owning up to, hey guys, um, ultimately whatever just happened, ultimately it is <laughs> it, it's on me. It's my fault, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, more more than likely, either uh, either I didn't empower you guys and and provide you guys with what you needed to get your job done. Or maybe I just missed the mark because I'm human, and, and that happens. And, and ownership, but it doesn't just stop at ownership, right? I mean, you have yes, you have that. That's the start, but it's not the stop. You have to own it, but then you you have to also do something to fix it moving forward, yeah. right? So just because you own it doesn't give you a free a free pass. Like you got to own it. Then you got to do something. You it, tangibly, you've got to do something to fix whatever the problem was. Um, and uh, you know, there, there's a there, there's definitely a story from a deployment when 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 I did I, I made a huge mistake, man. Um, that oh, that nearly I hear this. Uh, well, <laughs> the the thing about this is. Uh, um, I made a huge mistake, you know, uh, I, I actually, I actually, uh, shot someone and this, this mistake that I made, it was, uh, it, that wasn't supposed to, I shot someone that wasn't supposed to get shot. All right. And, um, you know, and, and we're talking about a mistake here where not only the, the mission success is put in jeopardy, but, uh, human life is put on the line and, and, you know, in this scenario, and I don't, I don't tell this story a lot, um, but in this scenario, there were plenty of excuses that I could have made, right? There were plenty of excuses that I could have made. Um, I was actually offered. Uh, I, 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 my teammates actually uh, fabricated some excuses that I could have used. Like, right? Uh, this sounds crazy, but but when when we make mistakes in in combat, we cover for each other. Um, and uh, I chose um, in that moment to complete, re- regardless of the mistakes that or the excuses that were available for me to use, I chose to forego any of those excuses. And when I had to go and pay the man. For this mistake that I had made, I completely owned the mistake, and that is the very that that's what saved my career. It literally saved my career. If if I if I would have tried to use any of those excuses that were on the table, no matter how valid they were, I would have lost the respect of my peers that were judging me, right? I would have lost the respect of my peers that were judging me as a leader and as a Navy SEAL. So we owned it, but not only did we own it, not only did I own it, but I also said, hey, yes, I own this, and this is what I'm going to do moving forward to make sure this never happens again, right? And it saved my entire career, and that's why I'm so passionate about, um, about that subject, right? Yeah, that's a that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing that. I want to dive into more leadership stuff, but I can't overlook the heart surgery story. I'd love for you to expand on that because it just shows everything that you stand for, Chad, in the sense that you're an ultra runner. You um, 
you've created this three to seven project, which is somewhat, somewhat akin to the name of my podcast, not almost there in the sense that you're, you're, you're striving for something, um, constantly and you're taking every day to just improve. Um, and you've just done a lot in your life. Don't die in the chair. That in itself is like, just keep getting up and keep going forward. And if you're going to die, don't die in the chair. Don't die sitting back wishing you would have done something. Go do it. That all being stated, take me back to when you wanted to be a Navy SEAL so bad and you found out something regarding your heart and what happened there. Yeah, I think that's a big, uh, a big part of my story for sure. So I appreciate you asking that question. And um, so when I did decide I wanted to become a SEAL, uh, first of all, I didn't even know how to swim. It was absolutely ridiculous that I had set this goal for myself. And 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 the people around me, trust me, they let me know that all, all the, the my buddies back home and and uh, you know, it, it, of course, they all laughed at me. There wasn't a lot of encouragement when. When young Chad, 18-year-old Chad, says, I'm going to become a Navy SEAL, and um, yeah, <laughs> it sounded kind of silly, but you know, I, I, I basically, um, there's something about my mind, and I think it was passed down to me from my mother, where when I um, set a goal or I, 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 I become completely consumed with a goal, right? And I call it front sight focused. Uh, it's a term we used in the SEAL team. If you want to hit your target, you have to focus on the front sight post of your weapon. And the rear sight post just stays kind of in the peripheral. It's a little blurry, but you really want to focus on that front sight and that allows you to hit your target. So that's what happens to me. And that's what happened to me then as an 18-year-old kid. And uh, I literally just invested every waking minute of my life uh, to getting in shape, learning the skills that I needed to learn, skills like running, swimming, um, pull-ups, push-ups, all these physical skills. Uh, I was not a physical guy. I had never played sports, um, never done anything like that. And, uh, and I eventually got to the point, I learned those things, I got in shape, and I got a SEAL contract and I left my home in Georgia to go and accomplish this goal that I had for myself. And I get all the way through Navy boot camp. Every SEAL has to go through Navy boot camp first because every SEAL needs to be a sailor first. We have to, we're in the Navy. We have to know a little bit about the Navy. Um, I get to the last day of boot camp and they pull me out of formation. Uh, we had just finished our final training exercise and my classmates are going off to graduate, and uh, I have to go over to medical for some unknown reason. And I get to the medical office, and the doctor proceeds to tell me that I have a asymptomatic, which is very important to understand. This was a asymptomatic pericardial cyst you had on no my idea. heart. Yeah, had no clue because it was asymptomatic. Right. So I've been living with this seven centimeter cyst on my heart. For my whole life, training, running, swimming, uh, all this work that I did leading up to finally going to Navy boot camp never gave me a single issue. But the doctor said he was afraid that when I dove underwater, the pressure change would actually burst the walls of the cyst um, and in turn send me into cardiac arrest. 
so it was an issue. The Navy really didn't uh, know how... It was the first naval special warfare candidate to ever be diagnosed with this condition. It's a very rare condition. And uh, essentially, he said, the, the, the risk is there, the potential for risk is there, and uh, we have to disqualify you from being a SEAL ever, or, or even doing any job in the Navy that's going to require you to either dive underwater or go up to altitude and jump out of an airplane. So um, he said, you know, you can go join the regular Navy, and which is a great career, man. It's just not where I had set my goals. And uh, it was a pretty crushing blow for me. Uh, essentially, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening have, have faced situations in life where everything that you have worked for, everything that you aspired to be, everything that you aspired to to accomplish or achieve was was ripped out of your right out of your hands in one moment and whether that's a cancer diagnosis or or a, a loss lo- loss of a loved one or whatever it may be loss of a team member for me it was this pericardial cyst and at a very young age this happened and so um, that's where most people will probably say well you know what it just wasn't meant for me. It just wasn't meant to be. I, I just need to go find something else to do. Um, but that's not what I did. Uh, I got out of the Navy. I cut all ties with the Navy and went and after multiple appointments, finally found a heart surgeon that would remove this cyst from my heart. Nobody wanted to touch it because it was a dangerous surgery and it was asymptomatic. So nobody wanted to say, yes, we'll cut your chest open to remove this cyst for no reason. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Nobody (laughs) wanted to touch it. I found a surgeon that would do it. And uh, he goes in, performs the surgery. It's successful by the grace of God. Um, And so I have the cyst removed from my heart, but here's the other caveat. Having this surgery was a gamble for me because the Navy did not tell me. They did not say, hey, Chad, you can get out of the Navy, pay for your own heart surgery, and then as long as the surgery goes good, we'll let you back in. No, they didn't say that. They said, if you cut ties with the Navy, yeah, that hey, man, it's on you, right? There are no promises that you can come back. They didn't even know that I was pursuing this surgery. No way. I did not yeah. know that part. They had no clue, man. And so I got it done. And then I have to go back to the Navy and tell them what I had done and submit paperwork from my civilian surgeon um, to the Navy. And then the, the Navy had to review this paperwork and then basically say, okay, we're, we're going to let you back into the Navy, which they did. And I come back into the Navy and they put me on hold for six months while they review the paperwork further to decide whether they're going to let me go to SEAL training or not again. So I, this is a total gamble. So I'm sitting in this holding unit for six months in Great Lakes, Illinois, um, while they review my paperwork. And it went all the way to the top uh, of, of the Navy um, and they actually wrote a whole medical journal about my case. If you just Google 
Navy SEAL, pericardial cyst. You can read this if you're a medical person and you want to see the chest x-ray and all that. It's all online. Um, and they let me, they, they, I think they appreciated whoever they is, the big Navy doctors. Like they understood the risk that I had taken. They understood the investment that I had made in order to go to SEAL training. And so they blessed me off and said, yeah, Chad, you can, you can go, man. Go give it a shot. And here's the thing. Everyone quit SEAL training, man. I mean, I did all this to just have a chance to toe the line at an event that everyone quits anyways. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, but... You were so it vested was, at that point, though. That's right. It it was really, it turned out to be the, the best thing that ever happened to me as far as my SEAL career goes, because you're exactly right. I, I tell people all the time, to be quite honest with you, if I look back on my 18, 19-year-old self and I make an honest assessment after now looking back, knowing what SEAL training is, and by the way, it's the one thing in life that not only lived up to, but exceeded my expectations for how hard uh, I thought it was going to be. So looking back, knowing what it is, I can honestly say that I don't think that I would have made it through SEAL training if I would have just went the first time. If I would, if you know, if I wouldn't have had to had this heart surgery and make this great investment, not only uh, financial investment, but uh, time and just em- emotionally and 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 fit and pain, man. Recovering from the surgery was no joke. I mean, it hurt. And uh, yeah, when I finally got to toe the line, brother, literally nothing was going to stop me. And and I don't say this lightly. Uh, I. I can I, I, I can say that I would have had to die to not make it through that training. Like literally they would have had to kill me, which they dang near do that while you're there, which is why most <laughs> yeah. guys quit, right? Um, and you were in but, your, you, you were know, what like 22 here, like 21. If, if that, I don't, I, I, yeah, I think I was 19, 20 years 19, old. Okay. Yeah, 19, 20 years old. Yeah, I, I couldn't, yeah, I, I remember I couldn't drink or anything during buds. And um, so, yeah, really young. But, you know, there again, I, I don't know why I didn't just get back home here in Georgia and say, well, let me just go to college. Like, this is obviously off the table for me. Um, and, and, but it's given me the realization that, Really, no matter what obstacle you're faced with, uh, you, you, if you if you want it bad enough, you can likely find a way over, under, around, or through that obstacle. It just might take a it might take a few years. It might take a lot of hard work. It may not be the path that you thought you were going to take. In order to reach your objective, it may be some path that goes way out to the left or right, but as long as it leads you back to that objective in some roundabout way, man, you you can do it. And and another thing I want to tell the listeners, this is something I've been writing about here lately, is whatever your objective is, for me, it was to become a SEAL. Um, 
the longer that I the longer that I stayed on that path, right, to become a SEAL, which my path, again, was much longer than most people's, the longer that I stayed on that path, uh, the, the, like, the hotter the flame within me, the flame of desire, the hotter it became. And it literally got to a point after my heart surgery that I, this is hard for people to understand because we as humans, we always have, we, we think we always have free will, right? So we think that quitting is always an option or, or maybe changing your mind or, or, or just choosing to go a different route. I got to a point on this journey where looking back on it, I literally felt like I could not deviate from this path. It took me a long time to get there. But when you reach that point where you literally can not possibly deviate, it's hard to explain how this works, but you reach that point where you cannot deviate. There is nothing that can stop you when you reach that point. Nothing. Yeah, no, I can I can relate in in quite a few ways, but uh, one of which is just the fact that you had heart surgery and you had no idea. Like you had to leave the Navy. Most people didn't even know why you were leaving. You left. They were probably like, oh, yeah, he's leaving. And then you just took that risk. And uh, I had heart surgery in my early 20s for something called WPW syndrome. And, and, and I did have, had, did have symptoms. Um, and it, was a very, it was very risky if I didn't get it fixed. But, you know, once I had it... Uh, once I had it done, it was, I was fine. That being said, what I do remember is the next day after that surgery, the doctors coming in, the electrophysiologist looking at my metrics and saying, I don't know if we got the, that pathway. So basically WPW is this extra pathway in your heart and causes it to race and you get dizzy, you could faint and uh, a lot of bad things can happen. This extra pathway is one-tenth the size of, of one of your hairs. And when you're having surgery, they have to keep you awake. So I had catheters in my neck and my groin all the way up through my heart. And I was, they were changing my heartbeat by a computer. In my mind, I'm like, what if the power goes out of the hospital? You know, it was wow. just, it was so intense. So like that next day they, they come in there and they're like, we don't know if we got it or not. And I'm like, there's no way I could go through that again, like in my mind. So, so the fact that you put it all on the line to not even have a guarantee that you could get back into SEAL training, to not even get a guarantee that you would pass it, just speaks volumes. And that is that is the start of, not even the start, but that's such a pivotal moment to me in your story on your life and what you've been able to do from there. I wonder, thinking about it, was it all internal or was there a point which you knew you couldn't return to Georgia with your peers looking at you saying, or your family or whoever, the naysayers, which you always face in life, people saying you can't, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's impossible. Was there a percentage in your mind of like people that you just wanted to prove wrong? Man, you ask a lot of good questions, Joe. <laughs> I I really like the way you interview, man. This is this is awesome. Nobody's ever asked me a lot, of, quite a few of these questions, and uh, I've probably done 
I don't know, hundreds of podcast interviews. So this is great, (laughs) man. Um, You know, as I look back on that, there was definitely a, a, a certain portion of wanting to to prove to people that I could do this there there was a portion of that that drove me but it was definitely a um it wasn't the majority portion if I could put it in a percentage I would say that portion uh, of wanting to prove to people my peers uh my family members my former uh, friends, high school friends and acquaintances and those people that were looking at me obviously saying, well, yeah, Chad's back. Uh, of course, he's back. We all said he couldn't do this, right? Um, I'd say the that drove me, if I had to put a percentage, I would say maybe 20%. Maybe, maybe that, you know, 20%. I could say that that, that kind of drove me to, to reach this objective of becoming a SEAL. Um, I would say the rest of it was was just was just internal. Um, I I believe that all of us are are completely unique. Every single one of us humans are completely unique, <clears throat> and I believe that each of us was specifically created to fulfill a purpose uh, within the world a very specific purpose that only we can fulfill, like only I could fulfill. Uh, Joe, only you can fulfill that specific purpose that you were created to fulfill. And as I look back on it and I realize that, well, 80% of my drive to continue mission in the right in the face of being definitively told no, 80% of that was eternal. I mean, was internal. And so I, I have to believe that this path to become a, a SEAL for me was part of that specific purpose that I was created to fulfill in my life. Um, being a SEAL for me, now looking back on it, has really been a, a great stepping stone. Uh, I, I, I learned a lot being a SEAL, and it was a, a, be- a wonderful job, Pro- and probably the hardest thing that I'll ever do in my life. Um, but it was a great stepping stone because now, because I, I was a SEAL, the things that I'm doing in my life now, being able to share with uh, men and women like you, Joe, being able to be in companionship with men and women like you, and and, uh, and for us to be able to help each other, I feel like the things that I'm doing in my life now are much more important and much more valuable and bear much more fruit than the things I did when I was a seal. But if I would not have been if I would not have been a seal, I would not be able to be doing the things that I'm doing now. So I feel like my creator had put that desire in my heart to become this thing that is a Navy SEAL. And that's really what was driving me is that desire to become the thing that I was created to be. That's some deep stuff right there, man. Yeah. But 
that's the only way that I can explain the internal drive that I had to become a SEAL. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it literally, it doesn't make any sense that, that I did what I did in order to achieve that goal. Logically, it makes no sense. I put my life on the line to, to achieve this thing. My life should have been more important than this thing, but it wasn't. But now this thing has created, and it hasn't defined you at all. It was a stepping stone to your point to allow you to create three of seven to show the world what the possibilities are and how people are not almost there and how they could take advantage of life in a, in a much more different way. And along the journey, I know you found, uh, you found a lot of signs that kind of helped you along the way lead you there. Um, but I just, I always go back to just thinking like your mindset as, as when I was 18 or 19, I'd, there's no way I had the mental fortitude at that time to be able to do what you did. But, I, you know, my path was different in that. I just took these small incremental steps in, in, in front of me. And then finally, I grew up enough to be able to, to, you know, make something of myself. My whole trigger was being a young father. Found out I was going to be nine, at 19. I found out I was going to be a dad. And I'm like, I got to take care of my child. If I didn't have my child at 20 years old, there is no way I'd be talking to you today. Zero. Isn't that amazing, man? There's no Isn't way. that amazing? It's it's absolutely amazing. And and uh, and my daughter Taya is 22 today, or not today, but she's she's 22. And it's just amazing to look back because I I look at those moments like how like how did this happen? You know, but things happen for a reason, and you're put on a path, and you don't necessarily know because you can't connect the dots going forward, but you can connect them going going backwards. And when I see yeah. what you've, you've done and what you're doing with your events in three of seven and just the inspiration of what you've been able to accomplish is, is second to none, Chad. Like it's truly incredible. And the mindset, um, I just want to dig even deeper in there because I want to get as much out of you as possible. <laughs> I know now you're in ultra running and now you're, you're creating this adversity for yourself that you're not enlisted in it. You're literally going to sign up for these runs in New Zealand that no one's ever finished. You are running the midstay mile, last man standing, and you're winning these events. How does this motivation keep coming to you? Is it something you're now having to prove? Because you put three of seven out there. You're like, you're like, there's more for me to do. There's more for you to do. Is that creating an obligation within yourself to be the best that you can be? Yeah, well, um, the it's it's not the actual business. It's uh, the three of seven project. It's the body of three of seven project. In other words, I am motivated by um, my. I hate to call them my customers, right? I'm motivated. I, I would more like to say my brothers and sisters. Everyone who has contributed to 3 of 7 Project, everyone who's come out to an event, everyone who's listened to the podcast, everyone who joins us on Resurrected on Sunday nights, um, everyone who contributes to any aspect of 3 of 7 Project, uh, you guys are the people that that motivate me 
to to do these ultra marathons and and to do all this crazy hard stuff, right? And it, it it's directly in alignment with the title of your podcast, Joe. Um, I, I feel like for me, there's a lot of if you guys will you guys will understand this. I don't follow a lot of people on social media, and there's not a lot of people that that resonate with me in the influencer space because um, because I, I feel like you have to earn that title as an influencer. Uh, there's a lot of fake stuff out there being propagated. There's a lot of uh, concepts and information that are either not tested on the battlefield of life or they're just being just being ripped off and regurgitated and presented in a way to make a profit for some influencer or some individual. Um, and ultra running for me is a way that I can stay accountable to you guys. That, that I can say, if you guys are going to be my brother, if you're going to be my sister, if you're going to contribute to my mission I want to I want to hold myself accountable and I want to show you that I'm capable of going and executing the things that I'm teaching you the things that I'm sharing with you I want to show you that they work and I want to show you that I'm able to to execute those principles in my own life right um, so it's it's earning the respect of you guys is what it is for me um, and I, I think too, I have a really strong warrior spirit, um, and, and a warrior, a SEAL training does something to your mind. They, they, it literally, um, it reshapes your mind, and it forges, it's, it's, the most, it's, it's really the most complex, effective, efficient, and beautiful training pipeline I've ever seen in my life, but it, it just forges this warrior mindset in you. And this is kind of the second part of ultra running for me is it gives me something to strive against. I have to have an enemy. Now, now I'm not saying like an enemy, like someone to kill or someone to physically fight. I have to have something to strive against in life. And in ultra running, my enemy is sometimes it's the course. You know, sometimes it's that 100-mile stretch of trail that I'm about to have to go and conquer. Um, sometimes I my enemy is my fellow competitor. If there's somebody there that is as physically hard and mentally strong as me, that's perfect. I want to I want the opportunity to strive or to pit myself against that person. I love that, man. I love that because it keeps me sharp. You know, a lot of Native American tribes, their greatness was judged by the strength of their enemy. And if you want to if you want to be great, put yourself in the arena and pit yourself in a in a loving way, right? In a in a holistic way, pit yourself against somebody that is just as good as you and see who comes out the other end victorious. And you will either achieve victory or you will crash headlong 
into just a, a, a nasty ball of defeat. But either one, whether it's the victory or whether it's crashing in defeat, either one of those two things will earn you respect. Because respect is earned when you enter the arena and pit yourself against a human being that is just as capable as you are. That's a powerful, powerful thing to do, man. That quote, and there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, the man in the arena quote has been hanging on my wall for quite some time. It's absolutely true. Heck yeah, 100%. You're moving in a direction, and, and that is forward progress, in my opinion. It, you're not standing still, like, afraid. And that's exactly why I want to tell you this. The, in, the influencer space probably drives you crazy because you're putting in the miles. Like, you are putting in the miles. So there's so much talk. And I even get caught up in this sometimes. I'm like, I don't need, I don't need another thing to listen to. I need to go out and, and train. I, I, need to, I don't need to read about jujitsu to like get better at it. I need to just start getting my ass kicked like every day. And, f- and I'm going to learn, right? And same, same with running. I could read all the books I want. I could get so absorbed with technology and how to, and, and you know, taking supplements or whatever, Putting in the miles is what you do. And, and I could tell you that the inspiration that you're creating and the, um, the people that, that are looking up to you know, know that that is so much more important than some of the other fluff that's going on out there. Well, Joe, I appreciate that, man. And, and you know, for your listeners, I hope you find me and follow me on social media. But look, I don't post every day. I, I might make a post once a week or, or something like and, and it's because, Joe, just like you said, man, like, uh, I mean, when we leave this call today, I mean, I've already trained this morning. We leave this call today. I got four hours of running that I'm going to put in this evening. And that's every single day, uh, especially now training up for the Mid-State Mile and uh, we'll go out to the Mid-State Mile, and, and if, if you guys want to see these principles put into practice and you want an example of how they actually work uh, in a really, really tough arena, um, tune in and watch that because that's what that race is all about. It's for you guys. I could care less about winning. I, 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 uh, that's a, one of the beautiful things about SEAL training once you get through SEAL training and you know you've kind of done yes. the hardest thing there is to do, you're like, you're like, all right, man, it's a true sense of freedom that I think all, especially males, but females too, um, try, to, try to go out and strive and do something hard if it's just to reach a place in your mindset where you have nothing left to prove to anyone. It's a very beautiful place to be as a human being where you're no longer worried about comparing yourself to anyone else because, man, you know you've put in the hard yards. And at that point, it's not being prideful. It's not being prideful. It's just saying, I know I'm satisfied with what I've done. And I don't have to, I, I don't, I don't care about winning anymore. But I want to be, I want to hold myself accountable to my brothers and sisters that listen to this podcast. You guys listen to this podcast. You should expect that out of me. And you should expect that out of any other mentor or influencer that you follow. We should hold each other accountable. I want you guys to call me out. I, I just started a, a segment on my podcast. It's called the call out segment where I'm going to start calling this. this I'm, if, you're, if you're propagating a lie as an influencer, I'm going to call you out. 
And, and it's it's not out of hatred. It's not it's not out of me trying to be mean. But I expect you guys to hold me accountable. I'm gonna hold you accountable. And that's how we grow, man. That's how we grow together as a family, man. Your um, example of your tongue is a rudder for your 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 body and your your mindset is so huge. And you give the example, the Mid-State Mile, when you were competing, I think it was Greg, he said something like, oh, we have six hours left till we get to 100 miles. And you knew right when he said that, he was he already psyched himself out. Can you... Unpack that a little bit. Yeah, hundred percent, Joe. So, yes, you're exactly right. the the power The spoken word, the power of the spoken word, is probably one of the most impactful lessons that I learned in my life. In other words, the words that you say um, actually impact your your mind uh, and and actually impact your situations. Um, it's, it's, this is biblical, uh, but I learned it just through life, right? Seeing guys in SEAL training, seeing guys in hard, hard situations, seeing guys or girls, this girls too, in ultra running, um, basically lose control of their rudder and start to go down that negative path with their speech. And, um, and and not long after that, they would either quit or, or they would, you know, not not be achieving on the level they wanted to achieve, you know. And, and this sounds silly to a lot of people, man. Uh, but these are minor tweaks that we can all make that are going to move us from being average to elite. These are minor tweaks that, when you find yourself in the furnace of adversity, they're going to make the difference between you coming out the other end of that thing or you just sitting in it for a long, long time. Something as simple as saying curse words. I know this sounds silly, but but I'm really, you, you have to really hone this in. If you want to be elite, you have to pay attention to the details. All right? Specifically for me, the details of what is coming out of my mouth. Um, it's important. Now, with Greg in the Mid-State Mile, you're right. We were 30 hours, well, 20, we were 20-something hours into this race, continuously running a one-mile loop with 350 feet of elevation gain and loss, which total, which adds a lot. It, it, that, that totals up. Uh, I think that day I ended up winning, running uh, 30, a little over 30 hours with something like 35,000 feet of elevation That's gain insane. and loss. So That's over... Insane. Yeah, over Everest and um, from sea level. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> crazy. Uh, Greg uh, was a was a, just an awesome runner. Um, had a resume that that really put mine to shame when it comes to the ultra running side of the house. And I didn't think that I could beat him until a distinct moment. And it was uh, I forget what hour we on we were on, but he came to me and said. Uh, Chad, we have six hours until we hit a hundred miles. And so in that moment, not only did he kind of lose control of his rudder, right? But he had lost control of his, um, of his mind in a way. In other words, he was no longer present. He was no longer focused on the single mile that we had to run in order to stay in the race. 
he was thinking about how many miles we had to do in order to hit 100 miles, which didn't matter anyways. The the race was going to go until only one of us were left. So 100 miles meant nothing to me. <laughs> yeah. like, who, who cares if we hit 100 <laughs> miles? We have to keep going until one of us uh, quit. And um, But I knew in that moment that he could not beat me. That was the first time I had been striving against this uh, very worthy competitor. I'd been striving against him for over for 25, 26 hours, whatever it was. I didn't think I could beat him until this moment. And then when he made that statement, I knew that he was no longer present and focused on what was in front of him in order to stay in the fight. I knew that he couldn't beat me anymore. And I just smiled at the dude. And he probably thought I was crazy because I am a little crazy. Um, but I just smiled at him and we carried on and it was probably, I don't know, it was, it was just a few hours after that where his physical body actually started to shut down, which in my opinion is a result of him overextending himself mentally. So when he overextended himself mentally and was, was trying to project too far ahead with his thoughts, he had a physical reaction in his body and there's a video on Instagram of him coming in on his last lap and he could barely he could barely walk and he just collapses across the finish line. And what a beautiful example of human will that was. I mean, I'll never forget that moment. Uh, I'm not an, I'm not a very um, emotional guy, right? Uh, not that emotions are bad. That's a whole other subject, but um, I, I couldn't literally could not talk to this man without crying because here is a human that's literally pushing himself to the point that his body is shutting down in order to beat me. But even, even, it even goes beyond that because in this moment when this video was taken, Greg knew his body was shutting down. He knew that he could not beat me. But he got up and went out again to push me further to allow me to keep going. So the last loop he ran, he ran it for me because he knew he knew I hadn't reached my limit. He knew he couldn't beat me, but he still wanted to allow me to push as long as I could possibly push, which is it's that's a respect that's respect right there, man. And uh what what a moment. You don't get to see that a lot in uh first world cushy society anymore. That's a that's an incredible story. I've I've heard it before, and uh, it's it's amazing. And I I highly recommend anyone listening to this go check out that clip because it it is truly touching. I I have a question about two things regarding the race. So at the end of the race, Chad, you you win that race, right? The next day, what do you fill your time with? Do you have like what I have where? You have this pinnacle moment, and the next day there's a lull because you just trained and you just achieved something amazing. Yeah. Um, so the next day, after like the immediate next day after the mid state mile, uh, I, I get. I'll be totally honest with you. I get pretty depressed. Uh, yeah. I don't get depressed like in a dangerous way. Like I don't want to harm myself or harm other people or nothing like no, that. No, I can but, relate though. It's the same. Yeah. yeah, I get really depressed, man. And and what I what I have found is for me personally, 
that is part of the process. And uh, I, I've, I'm intentional when I, when I have those feelings after achieving some great thing, when I have those feelings, I'm in, I intentionally accept that feeling and identify it as part of the, the growth process that I'm going through as a human being. And so instead of that day after, instead of beating myself up about being depressed, um, I just revel in it, man. I, I mean, I'll eat ice cream. I'll watch videos uh, of, of the race. I, I'll, um, I'll do a lot of reflection, all right? And I take that day, or, or may, maybe at the longest two days, um, and but but I'm I never I never allow it to like be a thing, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I realize it as part of the process, and so I take those days intentionally. I revel in it, and then I'm like, all right, I gotta. I it's time to get out of this. It's time to to put to to start looking toward the next thing, and that's what I do. Yeah, no, I can I can totally relate to that, and I I tend to fill my day with thinking about okay, well, what's the, what's the next steps to the the next accomplishment, or what are the steps I can take? Even even if you're not doing them, just thinking about them helps. But have have you like I always wondered, like maybe that is why though, like actors and musicians and comedians and people that are on stage. I shouldn't say like generally struggle with this, but you can kind of see some some patterns forming that they're so on and then all of a sudden you're off and then you're on and then you're off. And it's just, it's it's pretty interesting and I'm so glad it doesn't absorb your thinking. It doesn't me either, but I can also see how it could to some folks. Yeah, it definitely could become a, a dangerous thing if you allowed yourself to sit in it for too long. And, and and I think what allows it to uh, I think why it ends up lingering longer for for a lot of people is because here's the thing society tells you you should never be depressed society tells you it's not a good thing to have these feelings here's a pill um, go see go see this person here's a here's a here's some medicine to take here's something some technique. To get you out of that um, that feeling that you're having, um, you know, and I think what happens is is if you if you fight against that feeling, that feeling that I'm talking about, this depression that I'm talking about, obviously is not a result of some type of trauma. I'm talking right. about yep. the depression that I feel after being on stage, right? Yep. Um, the, the biggest way to take the power out of it and to, to climb back up out of it is to stop fighting against it and recognize it as part of the process and don't drink a, a freaking fifth of liquor or don't go out and try to take some pill or smoke a joint or do something to numb the feeling because the feeling is part of the process. Allow that, allow that to happen, man. 
and society's dead wrong to tell you that 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 shouldn't happen. It's just part of the process. Allow it to happen. And then, and then you're going to come back up out of it. But as soon as you try to do something to compensate for it or to fight against it, it's not good, man. It's not good, you know? Yeah, I, I totally see that. It's like many years ago, I couldn't, I had a bit of insomnia. So I went to the doctor, I got some medicine for it. And then the next day from that medicine, I had anxiety from that medicine. And then yeah. I go back to the doctor and they're like, well, here's some medicine for that. And before you know it, I'm like, I'm not taking any of this stuff. Like, like the, let's fix the root of the, of the issue. And the root of the issue is nothing. It's like, relax, like, you know, turn off, you know, do the basics that you should before you go to sleep and try to fix these problems that don't exist. But you could see this chain reaction that's created. You know, it's crazy. You're preaching to the choir right now, brother. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there, there, and, and it's a, it's just a weird place that we're in now. You know, you've even got now, you've got, um, you know, big major influencers that are are, are propagating messages that say, uh, that, that basically promote drug use or, or whether it's marijuana or psychedelics or, or uh, whatever it may be. And, and they're, they're promoting this drug use in, in order to, to tell, they're saying basically, if you want to experience the fullness of life and, and creativity and freedom, you you need to use these drugs. And I'm like, man, you you're just telling me that you're a broken person, and you, you're 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 using something to cop out. You're just using a cop out, um, and I, it, it hurts me. It hurts me. I mean, my wife is a recovering addict. Um, I've seen what even even simple what you would say entry level drugs can do to somebody. It's just a masking thing, man. Alcohol's the same way. It's a it's a dangerous path to go down. And it's like learn to enjoy those extreme emotions that life gives you, whether it's depression or or happiness, or or joy, whatever it is, it's part of being alive. They all remind you that you are alive. Don't use some substance to numb it. Uh, You don't need that. You don't need that, man. The best drug is the high you get from being in a flow state or runner state. And honestly, the last time I felt that, going back to the proving grounds was this evolution we did. And I had to grab a partner again, I'm not going to give a ton away, but we had to do this obstacle rate to climb up it. And it was, it was me and uh, my best friend and we climbed up. I got to the very top of it and just inadvertently screwed up and I had to go back down and climb up it again. I climbed up to the top and actually the second time I did it, we were faster than the first time, even though it was completely winded. But in that moment, Chad, I can tell you that, I was so present in such in a flow state that nothing else mattered to me at that time. Like, n- like nothing mattered. I had, I had a, a phone that is like always attached to me, you know, running a business and talking to people all day long. It was so irrelevant. It didn't matter. What mattered was what was in front of me and the feeling that I got from that is better than any drug than any sip of alcohol, than almost anything you could experience in your life. And until you've done that, until you can be present and be in touch with yourself, skip the other stuff. And I'm not saying I don't drink and I don't, 
I don't have beers and like, yeah, I, there's a place for that too. But at the same time, you there's like to get in that flow state, there's nothing like it. And I just think about you running and I can imagine like how that's an addiction that you're, you're, you can get into that state. It takes a little work, but once you're there, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, Joe, you're exactly right, man. And that's the, the work element of it is, is what most people aren't, aren't willing to, uh, they're not willing to, to pay that, right? They're not willing to, to put in the work. And that obstacle that you're talking about is a extremely difficult obstacle. I've done it before and it, it, it is, it's tough, man. And I could only, I've never tried to go up it twice. I've been up at one time, but back to back twice, I could see how you could get into that flow state where you, and you have to be super present on that obstacle, especially because there's so much going on. Um, and running does the same for me, man, for sure. You know, I get, you know, 20, 30, 40 miles deep into a run. And it's just such a pure, pure state to be in. When you're running, I just want to dive in your mind for a second because I know I'll try and listen to audiobooks or podcasts or, but my mind just wanders. It goes all over the place. And I, and I tend to not absorb, especially audiobooks because they're not as engaging. And then, you know, 20 minutes will go by and I have no idea what was said because my mind just starts wandering. Do you, are you, th- thinking about what you're doing when you're running. Cause sometimes that gets to me too, when I start thinking about it, like, and then I'm like, Oh, I have three more miles left or I'm starting that those negative thoughts in my head. Um, especially like as I get closer to the end of where I'm supposed to be going, what are you thinking when you're running? And when you are having those thoughts, like how do you take them, acknowledge them and just keep moving on? Well, first of all, that that definitely does happen to me, um, it, it, and a lot of times when you, you're talking about when you're in the middle of your run or your workout, and yes, you start thinking about, oh man, I got I've got uh, whatever three miles left, or or I've got a meeting, or I've got a phone call, or I've got something else that I should be doing, and it starts to detract from uh, the experience that you're having, and and detract from your ability to be present in that moment. That happens to me, man. Um, I will tell you, that happens to me when I am not training for a specific race. So it's really good for me to have uh, something on my calendar, like a race, because I'm a runner. Now, this can be different for anybody, but for me, it's good to have something, a race on my calendar, because if I can... If I know I'm training for a race, if I know I'm training up to a day or a certain point where I'm going to have to perform, um, it helps me a lot in the training cycle and, and to be more committed to the training um, that I have, the work that I have to put in. Um, another thing that, that helps also, I used to do this a while back, um, if you're having trouble staying present and, and really finishing your workouts or uh, specifically runs, a lot of times what I would do is if I was running a route, let's say it was a, a, a out and back or, or whatever it was, a, a loop or whatever, I would actually park, intentionally park my vehicle 
somewhere that would uh, was in the in the middle of my route. So if it was if I was going to run an out and back instead of parking my vehicle at where I wanted to start from, I would park my vehicle in the center of my route. I would run backwards to the point that I wanted to start from, and then I would have to turn around and run back past my vehicle and run to the point that I wanted to end, right? And then run back to my vehicle. So you have to kind of tailor your, your, your distance to that, but it forces you to run past your vehicle midway through that training run. And what does that vehicle represent? That vehicle represents your excuse to quit, your excuse to quit early. You're running right by your vehicle and there it is. It's, yeah, okay, you, you, you got something else that you should be doing in the office. Why don't you just go get in that vehicle and just go back home and cut your run short? But now every time you do that and you intentionally tempt yourself, right? You're, you're intentionally tempting yourself with that out. Every time you don't take that out and you run by that vehicle and you're like, screw you, I'm finishing this run, man. Um, it just adds another layer, another component onto, you know, staying present, getting the job done, man, and, and just choosing to choosing to not take that out, right? Even though it's right there, it's presenting itself, it's convenient. Put that in your path, man. When you're ready, when you're ready to, to take your training to the next level, park that vehicle somewhere midway along your run, and when you go by it, don't take that out. Go finish your mission. Finish your training day. Um, as far as what's going through my head in a real way, sometimes on a run, I will listen to a podcast. Um, sometimes I will listen to a, a, a praise and worship song. I, I love to worship Jesus. Um, a lot of times I won't listen to anything. Uh, a lot of times on my runs, my runs are so long, I might listen to a podcast the first part of my run, the first two hours of my run, and then the last two hours of my run is just nothing. It's me in my own head. Sometimes my head is completely blanked out. Sometimes I'm being creative. I, 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 have, I, I have a lot of creativity when I run. I think about things that I should post about, things, topics for the podcast, um, t-shirt ideas, like all kinds of stuff. Uh, I don't know why I'm, <laughs> I'm most creative when I'm out. And, and again, I, I also run on trails. Um, I don't run on roads, so I can really tune out or, or tune in to my creative side because I don't have to worry about traffic or, or anything like that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um. As we we wrap, Chad, I can talk to you for many more hours about many other topics, but I'd love for you just to explain quickly the three of seven project. I know we touched on it a bit, but I didn't think I did a good job letting you explain what that is and how people can get involved. I appreciate that, Joe. Yeah, so what it actually means, uh, the three is representative of the three aspects of us as humans, the body, soul, and spirit. The number seven is actually the biblical number for completion. Any time in the Bible that something is done seven times, it's totally complete. 
um, you'll, you'll see that as a theme throughout uh, any, any uh, biblical account. So we try to do things either through our podcast or through the events like the Proving Grounds, the basic course. Um, we try to do things for our brothers and sisters that are going to help them master, nourish, and maintain their body, their physical body. So we want to do things that are hard physically, their soul, which is your your mind, your will, and your emotions. So we want to do things that are going to stretch you um, mentally, emotionally. And then your spirit. Your spirit is the part of you that connects you with your creator. The spirit is the one aspect that we have as human beings uh, that no other animal on earth has, right? We are conscious. We're, we're basically... We're God conscious. We can see intelligent design in the world around us. Now, not everyone believes that. That's the way that I believe. But there's something about us as humans that we can stand on a ridgeline and watch a magnificent sunrise or sunset and appreciate and somewhat understand the magnificence of creation. No other animal can do that. I promise you, I spent a lot of time in the woods observing animals, and none of them do that because the world just is. To them, it just is. To, to us, it's something more, and that's because we, we, would, we would say that's because we have a spirit, all right? So master, nurse, and maintain your body, your soul, and your spirit in order to live the most complete and wholesome lifestyle that you possibly can live. And um, Joe, I know you saw out at the Proving Grounds, I think we hit all three of those aspects throughout the duration of our mission. And, you know, a a lot of people, I think, um, hesitate or or try to avoid uh, digging into sharing about our spiritual beliefs and, and and talking about that aspect in particular, but doesn't it mesh well, man? I mean, we, we're able to all come together from different religions, different backgrounds, and and present that side of ourselves to each other, and it just, it's so fruitful, man. The spirit side of that weekend was something I felt I was lacking in my life, um, and that that's why I think part of it hit me so hard, be, because we... I grew up Catholic, but I was really kind of out of touch, to be honest with you, of that side of my life. And we we can go on, and, and I've heard your story of how you became in, in touch with God. And I think it's just an incredible story. But again, hopefully I can have you on again, and we, and we could get more into that. But it that that I left that weekend with this different feeling, and I didn't know I was that I was even going to feel any of those emotions going into it because I didn't know what to expect. And the way it was all intertwined, to your point, was just magical in some way. I've attended a lot of things in my life and a lot of courses and training, but this was the real deal, especially if you want to understand the dynamics of working with the team and the power in that, and then have this spiritual side. And of course, a lot of activity along the way. You know, there's there's not going to be an event like this without some 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 hustle. But but <laughs> it was uh, it was incredible, man. And and you're right. I mean that that weekend hit hit all three of those. I'm glad you explained the seven because I didn't I didn't quite fully understand what the seven meant. Now I do. 
Um, yeah, yeah, brother. And how can people find out more about these events? Yeah, so just go to the website, uh, 3of7project.com. That's just the number three of the number seven project.com. And uh, I think our social media is linked there. The podcast is linked there. The events are, are linked there. Uh, the Proving Grounds 3 Troop, uh, which is in January of 2022, is live to register. So the link is live if, if anybody wants to register for that. That caps out at 25 people. Um, we haven't really pushed it and, and talked about it much yet, so there is still space. Um, love would love to see you there if you enjoyed this conversation with me and Joe. Uh, we also do the basic course, which Joe, I would absolutely love to see you out on a basic course class. I was going to ask uh, you about that. Yeah, I'd I'd love to to do it this year. Yeah, yeah. You, I mean, obviously, uh, you you mean a lot to me, brother. So. Uh, if you want in, uh, I have a feeling you'll get in. You know a guy, so um, <laughs> that's another experience that you know is uh, it's totally different than the proving grounds, but um, it, it's equally as valuable. Um, so you know, if you, if you want to check us out, check us out, man. We're not going anywhere, Lord willing. Uh, if you guys keep su- supporting the mission and and showing up ready to train on time on target ready to train we're going to keep showing up for you awesome hey chad thanks so much for spending the time with us today and i look forward to the basic course and just getting to know you more but keep on the mission man you're doing great things thank you joe it was an honor and a pleasure to be here to share with your uh, your tribe and and to be on your show thank you so much brother I love this episode and can't thank Chad enough. Just the story alone about what he put on the line to become a Navy SEAL was amazing. Some other things I'd like you to think about. One, don't let the small failures consume you. We have them. We all have them. Learn and grow, but ensure you are not repeating history. Two, the longer you stay on a path, the greater chance you have of not giving up. I speak a lot about this with the power of streaks. Start to track your streaks and build those up. Three, try and get to a state, no matter what you're doing, that you can be fully present. Whether it's working out, reading, listening to music, doing something productive, it is tough with all the distractions, but it's amazing once you can be fully present in something. So here's the big news. I got so much out of the proving ground that on behalf of Not Almost There and the podcast, we are giving away two scholarships to the proving ground for next year. I don't want cost to be a limiting factor for you. So the details are this. We'll be paying for your ticket to the event. Lodging is included, so you just have to get there. Use hashtag notalmostthere, tag me, Joe underscore Chura, C-H-U-R-A on Instagram, and use the hashtag provingground, and tell us one reason why you should go. We will be accepting submissions through June 15th. Thanks again for tuning in. Next week, I have Alex Sojung Kim Peng, who is an author of a book called Rest, among many other great books. Until then, remember me, you, we are not almost there. <laughs>